First Peter chapter five, verse one. This is what we read. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated this morning. It seems to me that there are two different approaches, predominant approaches to pastoring, to to the task of, of what I do here and what people, faithful people all over the city are doing this morning. There seems to be two predominant uh, approaches to pastoring in the 21st century. Now, I'm sure, I'm positive that there are many, many, many others that I may not have considered. However, I am speaking admittedly in broad strokes this morning. And, and this is what I've observed. The first approach that, that I've observed is primarily concerned with growth and, and, and the pursuit of it and the facilitation of it. And by that, I mean that when, it's when, when in a church that pastoral success in any given church is defined by growth, mainly numeric growth or budgetary growth. Now, obviously, growth is not a negative thing by any stretch. It's true when we say that healthy things grow. Sometimes smaller churches, churches our size, will take a jab at larger ones by implying that their size is only because of the, you know, the implementation of some gimmick or a compromise with truth or maybe even a, a rampant blatant heresy that's being preached. But growth is something, listen to me carefully, growth is something to be desired and it's something to be sought with prayer, begging God that he would let us grow. Jesus commanded his followers to preach the gospel to the entire world, thereby making disciples and expanding the reach and the influence of the kingdom of God past some local community to the whole world. Apparently, he envisioned some amount of numeric growth in that. Wouldn't you agree? Financial growth is definitely uh, the, the fact celebrating. I think I dance at least a little bit every morning. Uh, that we're, the fact that God has released us from debt. We're not in debt anymore. It, it was a burden for years. And retiring that debt has made us able to to use what's given just like you guys just did faithfully sacrificially giving it's enabled us to give for more ministry for more outreach and that's just going to grow and grow and grow in the coming days we're excited about some of the things that are happening but as jared wilson pointed out that while it's true to say that healthy things grow it's also true to say that cancer grows too right so growth isn't just isn't always necessarily an indicator of growth. 
See, a problem arises when the desire for growth it just, just kind of prompts us to adopt a purely pragmatic approach in our churches. What do I mean by a pragmatic approach? In other words, when we, when we adopt this attitude and we find ourselves saying that whatever it takes to get one more butt in the seat, whatever it takes to get one more nickel in that basket, we're going to do it. See, the buzzwords of this negative side of growth, this growth crowd that I'm talking about, the negative side, are, are when you hear the buzzwords of relevance and influence and attraction and appeal. When the how, let me put it to you like this, when the how of our growth becomes more important than the why of our growth, we are steering our ship right into the iceberg. We need a clear vision, a clear vision of why we must grow so that we don't become counterproductive to God's purpose in the world. Let me give you the best why, the best why ever, insurmountably great why is this, that we do everything that we do to to have measurable growth so that God would be glorified. That's, that's got to be our only motivation, not to make a name for ourselves, not to become a, a little celebrity church, not to, you know, just just impress all the other churches or compete with all the other churches. We want to grow because our heart is pounding with the desire that every lost person in our community hears the life-saving, life-altering, transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason. See, I think in the West, we've really forgotten that Jesus Christ never set out to, to, to build an organization or to build an institution. But what he did set out to do was to ransom and redeem and restore individual people so that they would collectively comprise a living organism. Not an organization, an organism, a body. See, a big corporate growth-dominated mindset is most likely not the best way to participate with him in accomplishing that end. It's just not. That's why I preferred the second approach to pastoral ministry. And, And that's what I would deem or what I would call the care approach. I'd like that better than the growth for growth's sake model. See, a care approach concerns itself only with growth as it can be measured by transformed lives. Only by that way. So like, if you have a church filled with 100, 500, 1,000, 5,000 people, and none of them are true followers about Jesus, big flipping deal. Come on, I'm really feeling like I want to preach this morning. I do much better by encouragement. It is no big deal if you have a building filled with people who have never taken up their cross and followed Jesus. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. I mean, you may have influence, you may have money, you may have all kinds of things, but when, when the end comes and, and, and God, as it says in 1 Corinthians, tries by fire the efforts of that church, they are going to go up in smoke. I don't want that. 
So we measure growth by transformed lives and the impact of those lives on the larger body uh, in the church and, and the surrounding community. Again, this is not an issue of size. It's an issue of mindset. I want to clear, clearly state that. This isn't a big churches are bad, little churches are great. Not at all. There are big, growing churches that provide great care for their people. And there's tiny, stagnant little churches that are really, really gimmicky. And there's every combination in between. The difference, the critical difference is the heart of the church and the concern that they demonstrate for, for one another and not so much the size. We live in America and much more specifically, we live in Texas where our unofficial state motto is bigger is better, right? Yeah, somebody start, you know, waving old glory there. I'm not talking about the stars and stripes. I'm talking about the Lone Star, right? So church, church, uh, uh, growth churches, rather, they tend to focus on mechanisms. But care churches, uh, care churches strive to focus more on people. Jeremy Rennie says this. He says, the organization, which there's always going to be an organization. We're not just kind of being sloppy around here. We're trying to have some programs and some policies and things like that. But he says the organization must always serve the organism. Programs and processes at best provide tools for accomplishing the mission of maturing one another in Christ. See, the vocabulary of growth or of care-oriented churches, rather, include words like shepherding, pastoring, watch care, accountability, relationships. Successful care churches pursue all of these concepts if they're going to be successful with an emphasis on God's Word. See, the fruit of a growth mindset versus a care mindset church is whether you become a cog in the machine or whether you're being shaped and formed into a vital functioning member of the living organism, the body of Christ. And and, and can I be just gut-wrenchingly honest with you? The reason there are not bigger churches that are, like I said, there's plenty of exceptions to this. This isn't a rule, but the reason there's not more big churches that are primarily known for transforming lives and building disciples and things like that is not necessarily, it is to some degree, but not necessarily the fault of the church. The fact of the matter is a lot of people in those churches go there because they don't want that. It can't be assumed that just because somebody shows up in the church that they're wanting, they're desiring to be discipled into the image of Christ. And so I'm glad that I feel that most of you do. And my prayer, my constant prayer from my knees is that all of you would. That all of you would, would, would say, I will take up my cross. I will follow Jesus. I will not embrace this life. I will throw it into the arms of God and he'll get to choose whatever happens to me. There may be admittedly these aren't like clear black and white lines there may be some shared common ground in these approaches but i want you to get this really strongly these two approaches are not different but equal at nrlc northridge life church we've decided that we are going to minister to the best of our ability in a state of constant improvement hopefully of ministering from the care perspective from the care approach of ministry hope you're on board with that our hope is that the care provided will result in growth but this kind of growth two kinds we want vertical growth and by that i mean 
uh, or I'm sorry, vertical growth. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough thing to have a dyslexic pastor. You know, I say, you got to go left, you got to go right, you know, that, thing, that sort of thing. So we want vertical growth. I'll get this right. You just stick around. I, you know, the second time I preach it is much better than the first. We want vertical growth. And what I mean by that is we want spiritual growth as people mature in Christ. But we also want horizontal growth. And that's growth where we thrive because we're engaging with our culture and with each other. And we're seeing the kingdom of God expand numerically. Because I'm telling you, this thing's infectious. Once it gets out, you know, we don't want to quarantine you in this building. We want you to get out there and infect everybody. I've called growth and care pastoral approaches because pastors are the people that we think implement these approaches. But if pastors are the ones bearing the responsibility for providing care, definitions become really, really, really important. Really important. What are we talking about when we talk about or when we say pastors? Now, if I had... Caught you in the foyer before church. And I just asked the question. I said, hey, I'm struggling with this. What's a pastor? Every one of you would have had the answer. And, and you know, some of you would answer it really well. Some of you might have struggled a little bit. But, but we, we sometimes in our culture, in many different ways, we use terminology. And, and we may never consider really what that terminology means, right? Fair enough? So, so what are we talking about when we talk about pastor? Pastor is kind of a catch-all phrase in our culture for people in ministry. So Billy Graham just went to his reward. And how many times on the news did you hear people say, Billy Graham was America's pastor? Raise your hand if you heard that at least once. Okay, pretty much all of you. But the problem is that Billy Graham's ministry would more accurately be described, not as a pastor by the biblical definition, but as an evangelist. And so that's what I'm saying. It's kind of a catch-all. If you're in ministry, you're a pastor. For most of us, the pastor usually means the person who's tasked with the majority of teaching and leading in the congregation, oftentimes just by using the, the title, compensation as implied, creating a line of distinction, clear line between pastors and laity, lay leaders, you know, volunteers. Um, but what does the Bible say? You see, we don't concern ourselves a whole lot here, hopefully less and less all the time, with cultural definitions. We care what this book says. We want to know what this book has to say about everything that has to do with life, with practice, with everything. We want to know what this book says. Right? Fair enough? Fair enough? Okay. So what does the Bible say about pastors? Well, first of all, it may surprise you to know we use the ESV translation of the Bible around here uh, kind of officially, and, and there's reasons for that. But in the ESV Bible, the word pastor, guess how many times it's found? Zero. Not one time we find pastors, pastors, or pastor, pastors, pastoring, none of it is in the ESV Bible, not once. Now, if you are a a fan of the authorized 1611 version of the King James? No, there's a couple of you here. That's okay. The, the word uh, pastor is only found in two books of the Bible. Did you know that? It's found multiple times in one book in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. And it's found one time, one, one instance in the book of Ephesians in the King James Version of the Bible. The Ephesians passage is where most of us get um, our understanding of what a pastor is. So we're going to look at it in the original King James Version. Hold on. 
<laughs> Ephesians 4.11, this is what we read in the King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> and I'm really sorry if that offended anybody. Okay, so here's, here's what the King James says. Ephesians 4.11. Randy will shut up, I'll move on. So, all right. And he, Jesus, is who it's speaking of, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, notice the Greek does not distinguish. And I want you to really know this because this is a common misperception, especially if you hear people talk about the fivefold ministry. The Greek, if you, if you study Greek, it does not distinguish between pastors and teachers. It, did you know that? It, 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 it's not saying um, that... There are pastors and teachers. It's a hyphenated job description. It says there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers is the idea in the scripture. So there's perhaps four ministry gifts, not five. That's just for you to learn that. But so this is more my point. Pastors comes from the Greek word poimen, and it means literally shepherds. There's not, it's not a nuance of the word shepherd. It just means Shepherd. So how that's that, and that's how it's translated in the ESV in, in Ephesians four eleven, and in fact in um, uh, Jeremiah as well, it's translated shepherds. And this is an accurate re- rendering. It's literally what the word means. If you were to flip over to Luke chapter two, the birth of Christ, you would find that there were poimen in their fields at night, what keeping watch over their flocks. It, it just means shepherds. So Paul is making this distinction of the types of ministries that God has ordained to lead the church. And one of them is poimain. It's pastor, it's, uh, it's shepherds, it's uh, shepherd teachers, as a matter of fact. To understand what Paul wants us to see, I, I, I think, uh, uh, I want you to think about rather, close your eyes for just a minute and think about every shepherd you've ever seen whether you saw one in real life, whether you've seen them in pictures or in film, or maybe you think of the imagery of Psalm 23 and uh, think about how in Psalm 23, it talks about the Lord being his shepherd and leading him beside still waters and making him lie down in green pastures and protecting them in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's what shepherds do. They provide care. And that's the definition of a pastor's role according to to scripture. A pastor doesn't serve in this role because he's superior to other sheep. He serves um, because his, been, his job has been delegated with great responsibility by the one and only good shepherd. Anybody remember who the good shepherd is? You can look over in John 10 and you'll see it. Jesus says clearly with no exceptions, I am the good shepherd. And so what he's done in his church is he's delegated, he's, 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 uh, delegated this role to, to men in the church. And he says, and basically what they're doing, they're, they're merely fulfilling the role that's been designated to him by the good shepherd. And think about Jesus' last conversation with the apostle Peter. They're on the, the beach. Um, he's having this conversation and Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. Peter says he does. There's more to it than that, but you can read it yourself. John 21 and, and P- Jesus keeps giving this instruction. Do you remember what he said? Feed my sheep. That's the role of a pastor. That's what pastors do. Peter wasn't to forget. See, he didn't say feed the sheep. He didn't say go get a flock and feed your sheep. He said, feed my sheep. Peter was absolutely under a strong obligation never to forget whose sheep they were. Never. And neither am I. 
and neither are you that operate in this pastoral calling. There's a, there's a syndrome that people who are too immature to be in ministry get. And I call it the Messiah syndrome. I'm your Messiah. It's all about me and I'm here to be your anointed one. No, no, no. Feed my sheep is what Jesus said. At very best, pastors are under shepherds. They're managers caring for someone else's flock. And that flock belongs to Jesus. So what do pastor shepherds do? Well, they feed sheep, they watch sheep, they shelter sheep, they correct sheep, they protect sheep, they pursue sheep, they administer healing to sheep, and they imitate Christ in his delegated authority. What a shepherd does physically, if you imagine one, is what a pastor does spiritually. And let me tell you something, speaking from very personal experience, he doesn't do it perfectly. That felt good to say out loud. He doesn't do it perfectly, but he should do it faithfully. Okay, let's, let's bring this to a point. Some time ago, the elders and I recognized a great need to increase the level of care that we provided for you in many different ways. Our church had undergone a transformation. I'm not talking about the recent transition, but it had undergone a, a transformation several years ago that had limited our ability to provide what was needed in this arena. Let me explain. Several years ago, the congregation that became Northridge Life Church was larger and had many more resources. In those days, at any given time, there were as many as six full-time paid staff pastors working for the church. Six. A long time ago. And what they did is they, to the best of their ability, working as hard as they could, they provided care for the sheep. Now, by the time I was hired, the church was much smaller, and I successfully made it smaller after a year or two, Um, (laughs) trying to reverse the trend a little bit. But the church was smaller, and that entire staff, every single one of them had been dismissed, and I was the only full-time pastor who could attempt to provide some level of spiritual care, and I was blessed I was blessed. I wasn't, I'm not whining like I was all alone in this because I sure wasn't. I was blessed with a few willing, mature believers who were willing to shoulder some of that load with me, and they did it with excellence. So grateful. But like many pastors, I would find that people that I deeply cared for were falling through the cracks because there just wasn't enough hours in the day for care, to care for 150 people in a congregation. Did you know that's a pretty tough task? to really care and know everything that's going on in your life and try to be there for you in every situation. And I knew, I knew, I knew there had to be a better way. So I looked at what the Bible said about all of this and I discovered many of the things that I'm sharing with you this morning. But I also discovered that not only were pastor and shepherd interchangeable terms, but there were other words that in the context of the scriptures where they were found were synonymous with pastor as well. Did you know that? There's other words that actually mean the exact same thing in context as pastor. And those words were overseer and more curiously to me, the word elder. The the word elder. Now, if you're like me a couple years ago, that probably blows your mind because you had an image maybe from your church experience that an elder is a completely different thing. See, I had always viewed church structure in such a way that the pastor was the CEO of the organization and the elders were a board of trustees that guarded the purse strings and kept the pastor and the staff in line. 
But when I discovered that pastors and elders were not distinct at all in Scripture. If you can find one Scripture where an elder is not defined in the exact same context as a pastor, show it to me. It's not there. I've already looked. Take a crack at it. When I discovered that there weren't distinct in Scripture, but absolutely co-equal, it literally rocked my thinking. In fact, in the book of Acts, not only, as I already said, is the word pastor never mentioned once in the book of Acts, but elders, plural, show up in the context of local churches a lot. I mean a whole lot. And it's always plural, always. It's never the elder of the church of this or that. It's always the elders of the church. And this means that the elder's primary role was really to be a co-equal shepherd, a spiritual care provider with the primary pastor teacher. Is this blowing any of your minds? I mean, is this like a whole new way to think of church? I mean, because it was for me. You're like, no, go ahead. Get it out of your system. It blew my mind. Literally. I saw that the CEO model of church leadership, the board of trustee model of church leadership was absolutely unbiblical. Unbiblical. Man, that's as American as baseball, hot dogs, apple pie, and Chevrolet. What am I talking about? So we've always done church. God actually intended the oversight of the church to be handled by a team Not a man, but a team of godly men who were more concerned with souls than numbers and more concerned with discipleship than dollars. That's what God intended. But because this congregation, as as we mentioned, was well-stocked, I'm not critical of anything that happened before, because the the congregation had been well-stocked with professional pastors, six of them at one time, eldership had always been granted instead to incredibly godly men, Christ-loving men, whose primary expertise was business and management, and not necessarily soul care, discipleship, those things like that. Now, they did it, many of them very, very well, But that wasn't their primary expertise. These elders served, uh, I want to be clear on this, with distinction, faithfully praying, faithfully sacrificing. But together, in our meetings together, we, we, Kirk Schneider, Daryl Edwards, Johnny Newman, we, we, we prayed together and we, we, we realized that we had to do something to adjust, to get to a more New Testament church, especially in a church where we could only afford one full-time pastor. And so we really started to look this serious and read some books and, and really kind of dig into the scriptures about what it said. So we made a decision to prayerfully nominate two godly men with a proven track record of, of pastoral gifting and experience. The Spirit highlighted David Walt to us. The Spirit highlighted Don Litton to us in response to those prayers. Dave, as many of you know, has been a part of this congregation for close to 15 years And he's faithfully served with me as an associate pastor for the past three. He's a mature Bible teacher. I mean, I'm telling you, I've said this, I don't know of anybody else that I would rather hear proclaim the gospel than David Walt. Just an incredible preacher. He's a mature Bible teacher. He's an insightful and wise counselor. Many of you have experienced that when you're in the the, the middle of your stuff, how Dave and Katie just swept right in and, and brought clarity and light. And, and I want to say personally that they are friends that, to me and Ginger 
that we would absolutely trust with their life. I hope he never has to prove that I'm right on this, but I think David would step in front of a bullet for me. Don't test him. You concealed carry guys. Don't test him, but I hope he would. I love this guy very, very, very much. Don is a relative newcomer to our church, but our, our, the day I met him and Kim, I knew like that that we were kindred spirits. I knew it. I mean, I just I, I connected with them both so deeply. They had served in China as foreign missionaries for 21 years. And I'm telling you, to stick it out in China for 21 years takes a different caliber of human being. Most of us wouldn't make it in China for 21 minutes, let alone 21 years. They have the highest esteem for the scriptures. I've, I've had many, many you know, talks with them at this point in our friendship over and over, deep things of, of God. We've had shared meals together and, and laughed together. But I see that they have the highest esteem for the scriptures, and they dis- demonstrate by their very lives a discipled, Christ-exalting, cross-bearing life. And I love that about them. Absolutely love it about them. Don and Dave fully understand this transition to pastoral eldership that we're attempting to navigate, shifting the focus of the eldership to be more biblical and serve you better. We've talked many times about our sense of what God wants to do here, and I'm excited about the vision, not that God's planning in me or Daryl, but in these two guys. Man, they, they're, they're coming. They're like, you know, you ever gone to the rodeo and you can see those bulls just snorting and kicking and waiting to get that gate open? That's these guys right here. I'm not saying they're full of bull, but I'm telling you, they're, they're ready to do something here. So let me be perfectly clear. Nothing's changing in some senses. I'm going to continue to serve as the primary teaching voice at NRLC. Daryl will do what Daryl does best, and that is be a father in the Lord to this congregation. I love that man uh, incredibly so, and so uh, grateful for him for doing that. And, um, but Don and Dave are linking arms with us in complete, listen to these words, in complete equality from the very start as elders, overseers, shepherds, and pastors pastors to this congregation. As a team, we're going to be much less concerned with noses and nickels. We're going to be less concerned with those things than we ever have been. And we, the four of us, are going to dedicate ourselves to prayer, to the scriptures, to vision, to counsel, to encouragement, to correction, to ministry and service to this congregation. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to drop the ball sometimes, but man, we're going to give ourselves to the pursuit of that goal. We're no longer going to equate eldership to things like administering a school, running a company, commanding a warship, managing a project, directing operations, overseeing subcontractors, serving on a board of trustees. We are going to embrace the obligation of the scripture we read at the first. This is going to be our job description right here. 1 Peter 5, 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not as not under compulsion. I didn't have to twist these guys' arms. The first qualification in 1 Timothy that says about a, a, an elder is that he desires to be one. And these guys both embrace the challenge of leadership. So it says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly and not 
domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples to the flock. And get ready. You're thinking, woo, I'm so glad we've got two more guys to kind of shoulder this load. Hold on. Wait. Get ready. The coming months, we're going to be looking to many of you. Many of you. And your unique gifts. Maybe you're better at business than we are. Well, guess what? We're going to ask you to step up and assist us as financial advisors, as ministry administrators, people who can oversee systems and facilities so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and word and service like the apostles in Acts 6. The Bible calls men and women who support the church like this deacons. We're going to roll out a clear vision for a thriving deacon ministry, deacon ministry in the coming months. But just like eldership, being a deacon is probably nothing like you think and has little to do with what you may have experienced by people who were designated as deacons in other churches. Everyone say, whew. My experience coming into this movement of deacons wasn't very pleasant. But as again, strangely enough, when I stopped worrying about my experience and stopped, I started reading what the Word of God says about it, I got pretty excited about deacons. It's going to be fun. Don and Dave and Daryl, would you come up? Did y'all notice that? Don, Dave, Daryl. I think I'm the odd man out. I think I'm going to need to change my name to Dark or something like that so that I just kind of fit in with this crowd. But y'all come up here and join me. Dave, grab that mic as you come. Kim and Katie, would you join your husbands up here on the platform, please? I'm going to have you guys just stand right here facing me. And uh, Daryl, if you'd take your place behind them. You might move that uh, mic stand over a little bit, Dave. Let's make sure we have plenty of room. I want to read a charge over these guys. And uh, come on in close, Dave and Katie. Just kind of stand next to uh, Don and Kim there. I want to read a charge over these guys and then a scripture. And then we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. Don and David, having been examined by this church and its elders, and having met the qualifications of leadership with flying colors, I might add, laid out in the Holy Scriptures in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and having together with this body since your own calling to lead, to lead our church as the Holy Spirit empowers and guides, coupled with your own desire to do so, we solemnly place our hands on you and set you apart for the ministry of an elder at Northridge Life Church. And we charge you with the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Amen. Would you extend your hands? to Don and Dave as we pray God's anointing, God's blessing over them.
and their wives as well. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Dave and Katie Walt, Lord God. God, I thank you for the provision that you have predestined for Northridge Life Church, Lord God, to place such godly leaders in our midst, Lord God, such hearts of passion for the people of God, such dedication to the Word of God, such uh, humility in prayer. God, we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. And God, our words mean nothing. Your word means everything. And so, God, would you just speak, God, your approval over them, Lord God. Speak your approval and let the sweet Holy Spirit just fall on them now, Lord God, to anoint them for the ministry that is ahead of them. Lord, I pray that they would have the hearts of your people, Lord God, always at the highest place in in their interest in their interest and their concern, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would give them wisdom when it feels like they don't have any, Lord God. I pray that you would give them peace when it feels like their world is being turned upside down. I pray that you would just give them comfort when they suffer loss or rejection, Lord God. And Father, I pray, as Peter did, Lord God, that they would look forward to the day and to the crown that is laid up for them for their faithful ministry, Lord God. God, bless them. Bless them. Lord, we as a church, we commit to honor and submit to them, Lord God, as they fulfill the calling on their lives. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you and praise you for Don and Kim Litton, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would just prepare, God, just paths of great ministry opportunity for them, Lord God. God, I pray that you would stir in them uh, things that happened in China, Lord God, that would be just perfectly suited for this moment right now, Lord God. God, I thank you for patience and wells and, re- and reservoirs of patience that they may not even feel like they have, Lord God, that can be extended towards the people of God. God, I pray for wisdom, Lord God. I pray for strength for the journey, Lord God. God, I pray that you would even uh, allow them to find their hearts being broken, Lord God, for, for people who are broken, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that they would... Um, just hear your voice clearly, God, as I've seen this in both of them, Lord God, that you would just speak so with so much clarity, Lord God, to their spirits that they would know when to move in, Lord God, and speak that word or make that touch or, or, or complete that connection, Lord God. God, I pray that they too would be fully embraced by the people of this church, Lord God, that they would be honored and submitted to, Lord God, and, and that all four of these these people, including me and Ginger, Daryl and Judy, Lord God, would be lifted up in prayer daily by our church, Lord God. God, we covet that. We need that, Lord God. Would you prompt your people to cry out our names in prayer, Lord God? Right. Father, we just now, the, 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 the four of us and our wives, we just submit to you, Lord God. God, we just humble ourselves before you to, to fulfill our ministry, as Paul commanded Timothy, under your uh, a name, under your banner, under your calling, not under any compulsion, Lord God, and not lording it over your flock, Lord God. But Lord, we just pray that you would, by divine work of your Holy Spirit, make us all examples that can be followed, Lord God, as we follow you, and only as we follow you, Lord God. And we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your good 
blessing, your gift. The Bible says that, that uh, pastors, that elders, overseers are a gift to the church. And we thank you for these gifts, Lord God. We thank you. How generous you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.